All right, uh, it's good to see you guys out there. Um, I'm going to be in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, so you can turn in your Bible there to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to go through verses 1 through 10. And it's hard, it's hard to decide what to teach on when you're not just going through a book. And so, uh, you know, Rory, I looked at, Rory told me, oh, you could do, you know, uh, T- Timothy chapter 6. And I looked at Timothy chapter 6, and I was like, I'm not touching that. <laughs> so uh, leave that for Rory. And uh, it's not too bad, but. So, uh, so I've, I had a lot of different ideas, things I'm excited about, directions I thought about going. But I decided, uh, you know, I'd like to share with you guys my testimony a little bit. And, but I'd like to look at it in light of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And so I'm going to pray, and, and then we'll get started. God, just uh, thank you for this morning. Thank you for everyone in this room who views it as an important thing to gather with other believers and, and fellowship on your Lord's day. And God, I just pray that your spirit, as it was moving in worship, will just continue to move in our hearts and, and just move us to a place of exaltation of you, God, just that we would see you and, and recognize that you are high and lifted up, that you are great and mighty and yet you bow yourself low here to, to show favor to us and to be loving and kind and full of mercy. So God, just let us have a big view of you this morning and, and just let us rejoice in what you have done in our lives. God, I, I pray just that you would bring affections out of us toward you. Um, just, just revive those affections that are in us that, that we would um, come to you as our first love remembering how you've saved us. And God, just be glorified this morning in this, in this word. Amen. So I'll read, uh, I'll read the whole thing first. So, um, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, now before I get into the text, I just want to I just want to remind you guys of who uh, who God is, and so uh, we we learn from the Bible a few uh, attributes of God that I w- really want you to remember and, and consider. God is eternal; He is without beginning or end. And the, the way um, this is presented in the Book of Revelation, it says that that He is the Alpha and the Omega. 
And the alpha and the omega are the first and the last letter of the alphabet uh, in Greek. So the Bible, the New Testament, was written in Greek. And so it's like he's saying, I'm the A to the Z. And so God is, you know, I love, I love big theology of God. And, and God is, is the only thing that's always existed. So before there was a universe, you know, we look at the universe now. I'm a science teacher, so I'm kind of a nerd. Um, we look at the universe now, and we see that it's getting further away from itself. And so we can extrapolate it must have had a beginning. And that's, that's a really uh, amazing thing that we can see that and, and know that there's a beginning to the universe. And, but before there was even a universe, God already existed. In, in Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God. And so for us, everything we know and see, that everything that exists, before that stuff came into existence, God was already there. He's without beginning, without end. He just exists. He is the first thought. And that, that's a beautiful thing for a philosopher to just base, you know, there was, a, there was actually a guy, I don't know his name, but he was a philosopher like five, seven hundred years ago. And he just took that first thought. If you could just take this first thought that God ex- exists, that from everything else, you can develop a rational system of understanding the world in which we live. And, and, um, and it's arguable there's no other way to do it in, in philosophy. But anyway, beautiful rich theology we have as Christians that God does not have a beginning, does not have, a, have an end. He is the only thing that's always existed. Now after that, we see in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God is the creator of all things. And, uh, you know, he's the giver of life. He brought light out of darkness. And so this is, a, this is an attribute of God that he makes things and that they're very good. And so God, the one who's always existed, created everything that we know that exists. Okay? And then, like, those are two pretty amazing things when you really, like, contemplate that. Right? And then there's this third aspect of God that a lot of people miss that I want to emphasize right now. God is holy. God is morally perfect. Okay? And in the Bible, we, we sing a lot of songs, holy, holy, holy. We really emphasize the holiness of God because God being holy is, a, is an amazing, complex, profound thing that is, like, really important for us to take into consideration. Um, I watched these videos with my kids called Bible Project videos. I'm going to show you one of these in a minute. And, and a great metaphor they have in one of these videos, um, they're on YouTube, is that being holy, a metaphor for that, which metaphors are, are incomplete. They never completely explain something, but they give you a little bit of truth. But they always break down at some point. So a metaphor for the holiness of God could be the sun. Okay? So we love the sun. It's, you know, it's summertime. I go out there. I'm wearing flip-flops today, you know. Like, I go out there, and, like, in the mornings, it's so nice out, you know. And, and the sun makes all this life come up. And it's just, it's a good, good thing, Right? But if you get too close to the sun, it will destroy you. And in the same way, God is holy, and he's this wonderful thing. Everybody, you know, loves God. Everybody has a philosophy of God. Most people do. Most people believe in God, right? And, and, and everybody kind of, a lot of people make up their own rules about who God is. But, 
but, you know, this idea of God and this loving God, this is a very popular idea. Like, everybody likes that. The sun, it's very good. It gives life. God gives life. Yeah, that's good. But a theology that a lot of people don't have of God is that he's holy and that if you get too close to God, he will destroy you. And that's not because God is bad. It's because of how good he is. He is so good that his goodness will actually destroy you as a man, as a human. And um, we're going to talk about why that is in a second. But a couple examples of this. Isaiah, um, when he first meets God uh, as a prophet, when you read the book of Isaiah, he's, he finds himself in the throne room of God. He finds himself in heaven. And he, he sees God and he says, Woe is me, I am undone. And the, I mean, the language there is very strong. Like, I'm ruined. Like, and, then, and then the next thing he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. He's, he's very aware of how he doesn't belong in the presence of moral perfection. Okay? Another person that we see interact with God is, is John in the book of Revelation. And he sees Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. Just the overwhelming presence of God's holiness is so powerful, it will destroy a human. And so that's who God is. He is big. He is mighty. He is, he is eternal, the creator of all things, and he is holy. And I, I, I know you guys already know these things. I'm just reminding you of these. But we sing songs about this because God is so great. So we're going to look at my life a little bit. And, and everybody's life, though, is what Ephesians 2.10 is about. Um, and we're going to see how we fit into this. Um, so verse 1. And you, the, the verse says, verse 1, Ephesians 2.1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. And then it stops, and then verse 2 is going to start. So that's weird. Go back, will you? Oh, I see. Chapter 2. I'm like looking at that 2. I'm like, that's not right. Okay, so go back to verse 1. Sorry, and you were dead, that too is for chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. And so first off, before we even finish the sentence, um, Paul is describing humanity, and, and he's, he's talking to, specifically he's talking to the Ephesians, okay, the church in Ephesus, and he's telling them, before you were Christians, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Go ahead and bring up uh, Romans 1 uh, quote we have there. And so I'm just going to read through this. For although, this is, this is actually God... Uh, or it's Paul talking about the people in Noah's day, and maybe maybe the people after Noah, our early human ancestors uh, of humanity. Okay, and you think about it. God created Adam and Eve. Okay, and mankind uh, grew, and then there was t- terrible amounts of sin on the earth. So God destroyed the world with a flood. Okay, but Noah's family knew God. Adam's family knew God. So somehow you get from this family that knows God to this horrible amount of depravity. And it happened with, with uh, the sons of Adam, eventually. And so God destroys the earth. And now you have Noah, and God, they knew who God was again. Okay? And then somehow we've gotten to where we are today. And so it's the same thing. And so this kind of describes it. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Keep going. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, 
to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And so this is our family tree. Okay? We are descended from people who turned away from God. All humanity. And, and so when Paul says you are dead in the trespasses and sins, and then you can keep going, uh, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following, so let's just stop there, following the course of this world. So like the normal progression of a human life is, is that stuff we just read out of Romans. People have turned away from God, and by and large, the world does not know God anymore like they once did. Um, and and that's, our, that's our normal course. Uh, and, and if it wasn't bad enough that we have this terrible genealogy that we're descended from people who have turned away from God, we also have um, the second portion of this verse, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So the prince, you can go back, sorry. The prince of the power of the air, you know, think about air, okay? The, the reason I think they call the devil the prince of the power of air of the air is because air is everywhere, okay? It's all around you. Like, I lift up my arms, the air goes into my armpits, you know, that creates a vacuum. So, like, there's just, there's nowhere there is no air unless it's physical material or something. And so, in the same way, Satan, he's totally in the world. I remember, um, this is a random tangent. It's always risky when you prepare to teach because you, you come up with all this stuff and you're like, wow, this is really good. You know, and then you're like, and then you have these thoughts in the moment and you're like, should I talk about that right now? So, and my wife yesterday was like, you know, she's a little, the most nervous person in this room right now is my wife. Okay. <laughs> You'd think it would be me, but it's my wife. I'll, I'll skip the tangent. So anyway, um, <laughs> Uh, the Satan is totally at work in the world. And in, 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 you know, Nepal, where we go, people get that. Like, they know there's spiritual stuff going on. Okay, you go to India, you read books about missionaries in India, there's stuff going on. People know it. Okay, but you live in the United States, where we have cell phone technology and satellites and, and medicine. You know, we figured, out, we figured out that germs cause diseases. And so we're like, oh, there's no devil. Germs cause diseases. And then we're just done with the whole idea of the spiritual realm. Okay, it's, it's really messed up. And so, so we totally underestimate disease in, in our Western mindset. Uh, or disease, did I just say disease? We totally underestimate, we definitely don't underestimate disease. Okay, we totally underestimate the spiritual realm. We, think, we tend to think everything's physical now. And Satan is at work in the sons of disobedience. Okay, in the people in the world who do not follow Jesus, Satan is at work in them. And, and before we knew Jesus, that's where we were. Okay, we can keep going. Uh, people, sorry, among whom, let's go back and read it from two. Sorry, I'm new at this. Uh, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, verse three, among whom we all once lived. So he's not just, he's not just, you know, Paul does not point his finger at the world and condemn them. He points his finger at himself and the world. And condemns them both. You know, there should never be a Christian 
who is, who is judgmental, or at least, I mean, I think a lot of times when people call Christians judgmental, they don't really know us that well, and they're just kind of trying to come up with a good reason to ignore us. But, you know, I think also as Christians, we can be very judgmental, and we need to remember, I am them. They, we're the same, you know? And so Paul says, among whom we once walked, uh, once lived in the passions of our flesh, which is very interesting that Paul would say this, because Paul's writing this to Greek people, and Paul is a Jew, and he was raised like strict Jew, Jew of Jews, you know? And he followed all the rules. But he still, in his perfect religious perfectionism, he realized he was still wretched on the inside. Maybe he didn't act out all these things as much, but he was still wretched. And, uh, and so among whom we all uh, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Wow, there's a lot there. So, um, you know, like, uh, the reason I'm in this text is because it's really good news, okay? But the very first three verses are very bad news that it's essential that people know, okay? And people don't want to hear this. This is not politically correct stuff. But the bad news makes people understand why the good news is good. And so... This, this is human uh, nature. This is humans' uh, chance, okay? Y'all, y'all having babies like I saw little Liam back there? Liam was born into a world full of sinful people who have, for the most part, turned their backs on God, are descended from people who turned their backs on God, and who has the world that we live in. The prince of the air is not Jesus. The prince of the air is Satan. So you're born into a messed-up world, and you've got this other sinful nature problem, which it doesn't even get into a whole lot here. But, I mean, it's bad, okay? There's, this is really bad stuff. Like, these are things that people need to know. Because, like, if, it's like they're on a train, and there's, there's no, there's the bridge is out. And all these people are on the train. They're laughing and partying and having a good time. The bridge is out. And we know the bridge is out. And they don't. And we need to tell them the bridge is out. And sometimes we come up to them and we tell them the bridge is out. And they tell us, go away. You're ruining the party. You know, but like we got to stay there. We got to be there. The the family. My dad does not believe in Jesus Christ. He he's kind of come around. Like man, maybe God exists. My dad is on the train and the and the the bridge is out right now. And I don't spend enough time talking to him. You know, and when you look at the Bible, in the Book of Acts, when people get saved, it says their whole household was baptized. And you know, Christianity. One of the ways that it's supposed to spread is not. By like, I mean, definitely evangelism, you see that too. But for all of us in here, some of you aren't preachers. Some of you aren't like, you know, ever going to get up and evangelize, you know, to strangers. But we can all talk to our family. You know, we can all tell our family members what God has done in our lives. And, and you know, you just stay with that and keep doing that. And, and you know, like, who was it? My friend, um, my brother, okay? My brother totally didn't believe in God. He married this girl who... Uh, who, when they got married, she called herself a pagan or a Wiccan, you know, like really weird stuff. Like she was into like weird things, okay? She today is a Christian. And I wish I could say, it was, oh yeah, I just, I talked to her all the time about Jesus. It was my mom who's a believer. My mom spent time with her and talked to her about the Lord. She goes to church on Sundays now and likes hymns and reads Bible books and, and the Bible. And it's just amazing. You know, my brother, he was kind of away from the Lord. Like I, he was never really not a Christian, by name, but, but uh, you know, he's come back to church with her, and it's just a remarkable 
I never thought I would see something like that in this girl. You know, and you just love them. And she, I remember I saw her testimony, and it was my mom she, she gave credit to, like, as the person who showed Christ's love to her. You know, and I, I mean, that's amazing. You know, and you guys have all seen those sort of things. You know, we need to continue to pursue a turnaround in the people who are in our little circle. Okay, and we need to remind them that they're on this train and the bridge is out. Okay, and so, um, you know, for me, I, I talk way too much. For me, um, I was born into this really screwed up world. And when I was, um, you know, I, I had a good family. Like, my dad's not a Christian. My mom was kind of away from the Lord. They got married, and then my mom started following Jesus again. And so I had some church in my life, um, but I didn't want anything to do with church. I thought it was super boring, you know. And I was a kid. I wanted to play baseball. And, uh, and then, you know, just kind of bounce. When you're, I, I work with high school kids. They just bounce off. And we all did this when we were that age. None of us had it together at age 12, you know. And you, the decision, where you are now is because the decisions you made when you were 12 and 16 and 18 and 22, and now you're here, okay? So, like, anybody who seems like they got it all together, they don't, okay? Because, trust me, I see them all day long in the public schools, and they're really bad at hiding all their mistakes. Like, we're good at it now as adults, right? Okay? But as, as middle schoolers, oh, my gosh, okay? But even as, as freshmen and sophomores and juniors and seniors in high school, they're all a mess, just like us, just like you are on the inside. They're a mess. And uh, so I'm that way. I grew up in this world. And I had my big thing that I want to share with you guys is I had, at, at the age of around seven years old, I had an older brother. And uh, he had a lot of magazines and a lot of movies. And I don't remember when, maybe second grade, I started looking at magazines and watching movies that my brother had. And um, that just kept going. Seven years old. And guys, pornography is so much more available today than it was back then. And it is so incredibly destructive. And, like, I, I know, like, my, my son Eli, he's 11, and we've already talked about this stuff. But he has a, a device. He doesn't have a phone, but he has a little device. And we have a, an app called Mobile Fence. And a lot of you guys are parents, and a lot of you guys are parents of probably younger kids still. Do not give your children freedom on an, an electronic device, okay? Do not. There is so much out there that there didn't used to be. And, you know, we have this little app. It's called Mobile Fence. We can see everything he does. We can control what he can go to. And, and I'm figuring out still how I'm going to transition him to being an adult and having his own freedom, you know? But start out strong, guys, because protect a 7-year-old from the world, okay? So I was hooked before I even knew what I was in, okay? So that was my story. That was my big moral failure that's fun to talk about now because it brings God glory, you know? But from as early as I can remember having any awareness of what sex was, I was watching it and looking at it. And, uh, you know, it probably wasn't very often at first. And, and then by high school, it was all the time. And I was a slave. And I didn't want to be... Um, a slave. I actually, I actually wanted to stop. And, and it's, honestly, in the culture of high school kids today, it is assumed that all teenage boys do that. Now, I'm, I'm sure there are some who are pure, who, who God is, is, you know, protecting, whose parents are doing a good job. But by and large, it is so available that if you aren't, like, 
If you aren't aware of what your kid is doing, they're doing it, okay? If, if your kid has the freedom, it's wired into them. It's, it's so hard not to as a boy. And, and even girls, I mean, I don't know much about girls, but the more, I remember we were in Corvallis, some girl got up one time and, and just confessed to that addiction, you know, and it was like, oh, girls get addicted to that stuff too? And I mean, that's kind of my experience with how much I know about it. But I mean, it's out there, even girls are going to get messed up by that stuff. And uh, so anyway, I was a slave to sin, that sin. But then in high school, you know, I was, um, I was a little jerk. I was like f- five feet tall. In eighth grade, I had really liked this little girl, this girl. And she had kind of broken my heart a little bit because she chose this other guy, and, uh, which worked out really well for me. And because <laughs> got a better, much better option came along. And, uh, but anyway, I remember, like, just to give you a picture of who I was in high school and who probably most of you were in high school too because that's what the text says. Uh, I remember this one girl, we would as a group like to pick on this girl because she was pretty and, and she had broken a couple of the boys' hearts. And, and I remember I walked over to her locker and I wrote skank in the dust above her locker. And that was who I was, you know. I mean, yeah, I was a nice kid too. You know, I helped my mom out and I'd do things, you know. But, but there was this darkness in me that I would put another person down to lift myself up. And, you know, and we would gossip, me and my friends, Oh, man, when you're in high school, in the middle school, the gossip, talking about people, the mean hatred you have for other people who are different than you, you know, and the pride at the same time, the extreme, like, self-conscious, you know, insecurity, but the pride that you cover it with. And that's just, I think that's just about everybody at that age. Um, The best thing you can do as a young person is just keep your mouth shut, I think. And it's, I don't know what, I'm around them all the time, and I don't know what to do with them. So, so those were, my, those were my big sins. Okay, now bring up verse 3 again. Um, you know, I followed the course of the world. I did what everybody was, else was doing, because that's what you do. You just bounce off stuff, you know, and I followed the passions of my flesh, and I carried out the desires of my body. And then as we get older, I think the in the, and the mind, the mind part is, is for those, those few people maybe don't struggle as much with all those other things. But there's still the love of money that the Bible describes, okay? There's the pursuit of power or success or fame or pride, you know. Um, athletics is such an idol in our culture today. I mean, sports, it's like a lot of people, sports, God, oh, sports on Sunday, sports. That's just the normal thing, even for people who call themselves Christians, and I'm not saying they're not Christians if they do some sports on Sundays, but, but, you know, it's just like there's so much pursuit of self in mankind. And, and so this is who Paul paints us to be, you know, and even, even Paul, religious pride. Paul was a, the greatest Pharisee, you know, and he was, he was so full of hatred and, he, you know, and all the things he describes. Like, if you are a, a religious person without Christ, there is going to be darkness in you on the inside, even if the outside looks good. So we're all, the Bible just over and over again, we're all condemned. And so, and we're by nature uh, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Um, I thought I had, I guess I didn't go through it, but you know, there's this, okay, let's keep going. I gotta, the clock is ticking, guys. Um, So, and so we're children of wrath. I mean, we need to look at that for a second. Children of wrath. Mankind deserves the wrath of God poured out on them. 
Okay, that is not a popular politically correct message, but that is the message of the Bible. You deserve to go to hell. I deserve to go to hell. And that seems severe, but that's because we don't appreciate how holy God is. Hell is just the absence of God, complete absence of God, you know? And if we are unholy and we rejoice in our our lack of holiness, we rejoice in our unrighteousness, we deserve to be separated from God. And that's, that's what this is saying. So that's the bad news. I just spent like half my time on the bad news. Three verses, really bad news, okay? Now the good news. Verse four. God is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. You know, like, just look at that verse. God being rich in mercy. I tend to read stuff like that and just kind of gloss right past it, you know? But God is, he's not just merciful, He's rich in mercy, and he has great love with which he loved us. So God sees us in this totally depraved condition, and he says, I'm going to save them. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Okay? Um, so now I'm going to look at two verses. What does it look like to be dead? Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. Okay, before Christ. Now I say that and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He's, he's talking to these Ephesians, and he's saying, don't, don't act like the, all the people around you. And here's what, here's what it looks like to be a dead person. And this is obviously spiritual deadness. They're very much alive, okay? But spiritually, they are dead. Uh, in the futility of their minds. So the way that you think before you know Jesus, it's wrong. It's futile. I mean, it's, we're very intelligent. God created us very intelligent, but we, we have the wrong motivations. We have the wrong goals in mind, okay? So we're futile in our thoughts, and we're darkened in our understanding. The, the Bible talks about a veil covering our eyes, and that when someone becomes a Christian, God takes the veil off, and we can see things as they actually are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And that's not even the worst part. This ignorance is due to a hardness of their heart. So we have a major problem when we're dead spiritually. Our understanding is darkened. We think in futile ways. We're alienated from God, and, and we have a hardness in our hearts. But then God wants to make us alive. Here's Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. And I will give you a new heart. Remember that hard heart we just read about? I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God's going to give you a new heart when you believe in him, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and he he forgives you of your sins. Keep going. And I will put my spirit within you. The very presence of God lives inside of you. That is power. That is powerful stuff to stop sinning. That is powerful stuff to be bold and courageous with your family members and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And I was dead in my sins as a high school boy. And, and you know, we're going to sing this song. Uh, Otis, not, not today. I'm, I'm learning this song right now. We'll be singing it in the next couple weeks. And the bridge of the song, I love it so much. It says, Oh, to think where I would be if not for you. Just even on earth, forget about heaven and hell, even on earth, my, the trajectory of my life, oh man, it would have been bad. 
And God saved me right as I went to college and, and, and just changed my heart. He changed my desires. And so it says, um, and raised us up with him and seated us. Let's, before we get there. So let me tell you the good news of my story, okay? So you knew I was a mess as a high school boy, even though on the outside it looked pretty good. You know, I did sports, I got good grades, whatever. But spiritually, I was dead. And um, when I was a senior in high school, sports were ending. I, 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 I was done with cross-country swimming. Those were my sports. Started working at Papa John's Pizza in the spring of my senior year. And I met this guy, Mel, who was a Christian. And he talked about reading the Bible. And I was like, you know, I've never done that. I'm a Christian. been baptized. Never even opened the Bible, really. You know? And I thought, maybe I should read what's in there. And I started reading in the New Testament. And my mom got me this New Living Translation, which is kind of like the regular language translation, which is great. And that's what we use at the high school Bible study. It's like, I'd never read a book. I just cheated, you know? Like, just, yeah, I was one of those kids, okay? Did not, I, so you meet some kids, they like to read. I was not that kid. And so it was amazing. I was like, I've read, like, chunks of this thing. And it was, like, on my own free will. And so God, God began to change my heart. I started reading the New Testament. And, you know, there's a day when, uh, when I got down on, on my knees in my dorm room bathroom and I prayed. And, and you know, I kind of think, maybe that's when I got saved. But, like, man, I see God's hand all over my life six months before that. This guy that I worked with, um, some dreams Jessica and I had, and uh, just things that were happening. You know, it was just like the sovereignty of God was bringing me to a place to receive Jesus Christ. And... Um, and I stopped looking at pornography. I mean, I was a slave to that. And I stopped looking at pornography. You know, and I think it was like three months. And then I had a weekend where I failed. You know, but it was like three months, guys. Like, I couldn't go a week. And it, I remember I had a friend in high school who wasn't a Christian. And he was going to try to go for a month. Just for no reason. Just to be a dumb high school kid. And be like, I could do that, yeah. And he went for like three days, you know. It was just like, in my mind, that was not possible to not be a slave to that. And God purified me and no more porn in my life. And in, within, you know, two weeks, a week of becoming a Christian, I had the strength to overcome that. And I had the desire to read the Bible. And I had the desire, like, I just, cussing, it just gone. Like, I, not everything just goes away when you get saved. But I mean, I, was, I would cuss like a sailor, you know, like every other high school boy. And I just gone. Like, just one day, I was just like, I don't cuss anymore, do I? Didn't even have to think about it, you know? Because God just changed me on the inside as I became a follower of Jesus. And, th and for me, that was a really big deal when, at 18 years old, that I could stop being a slave to sin, and then I just had these new desires. I wanted to read this book. I remember I sitting down. I would read. I wish I was like this still. In college, I would read, you know, and I'd be like, I'm going to read the book of Romans right now. And I just read the entire book of Romans, you know, and I'm going to read the book of James and I'm going to write, I'm going to highlight and I'm going to write. And I'm, I, you know, it was just like this. It was just food, you know, and it was, it is the, the word of God is like bread. And, um, so God brought me to life in, uh, 2002, in the fall of 2002. And so, uh, hasn't this, uh, so sorry, verse six, you got to get moving here. Nine minutes. Okay. I'm all right. So, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so, after he made us alive, he made me alive. I hope you heard that. After he made us alive, he raised us up 
and seated him within the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I look at this text and I think, this is a weird one because I don't live in heaven, but it seems like it says that I do. So what's that about? And so I did a little research, and if you look at Philippians 3.20, you can look and find themes in the Bible that repeat themselves a lot. And this, this one is, you know, our, our, our citizenship is already in heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, right? Like, oh, okay, I'm a citizen of heaven. I live in heaven. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. So we as Christians are in this halfway in between. Spiritually, we are in heaven, okay? Our names are written in the book of life in heaven. We're a citizen of heaven already. But physically, we still live on this planet. We still live on this physical realm. And we are eagerly waiting for Jesus to return. And that's, and that's what Paul's saying there. Let's keep going, verse 7. So that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You know, we get distracted with so many things in this life, and I get distracted with a lot of things, you know. But what, what I remember when I see this, I'm like, oh, my gosh, yeah. Like, what's the most important thing in life? Like, what are we really here for? Like, it, we're going to be in heaven for eternity. This life on earth is going to be just a blip. You know, maybe you've seen the YouTube video where Francis Chan has a little red thing right here, and then he's got this rope that's like a million feet long. You know, the little red blip on the rope is your life on earth. Everything else on the rope is eternity. And we live so much focused on the little red blip. And, oh, if I could get this car. Oh, if we could get that play structure in our yard for our kids. And we, you know, that's me. That's what I was thinking about, you know. And it's like, it's like, stop focusing on the dumbest little things. I mean, yeah, that's good, though, too. You know, know, like we want a pretty thing back here when we have our church service. You know, it's good stuff. But... But like, man, let's keep our minds on eternity because that's where our citizenship is, okay? And, and that's what it's really all about. We get to heaven, we are going to be praised. We're going to see things are going to be so real there, you know? And, and I don't know where I've heard these things, and so it's not in the Bible, so definitely don't treat it like it's scripture. But, you know, you hear people talk about, like, these experiences where they've been to heaven or, or you know, maybe it, was, maybe, it was, maybe it was Paul, but it's like, it's like, you know, colors you've never seen before. Everything was more real than you've ever, uh, it was just more real than what we see on earth, you know? It's like, we get to heaven, like, God is the sun. Like, he's literally going to be the light that shines, and there's never going to be night, and it's going to be like nothing we've ever experienced on earth. I mean, we taste it, you know? We, the Bible says we tasted um, of the Holy Spirit, you know? Like, we, we've tasted God, but man, it's going to be the next level in heaven, and so why aren't we spending more time thinking about that? And one of the amazing things, the reason God saves us, ultimately, uh, is actually for his glory. I mean, he's loving, and he cares for us, and he's merciful, but also, it's for his glory. And if, if a man were to do that, if a man were to say, like, hey, guys, look at how great I am. Look at what I did. That would be wrong. But God is not a man that, that we should judge him that way. And some people, they, they've actually, like, I think I was hearing about Oprah Winfrey, you know, that her God was jealous. And that didn't fit with her um, personally derived view of who God is. And so she rejected Christianity over that. You know, it's like you shouldn't come to Christianity with an agenda or with a predetermined set of this is who God should be. Like me, outside of anything else, I I have derived from my own superhuman abilities who God is. And now if the Bible matches with that, then I will believe what the Bible says. Like, throw away your self-derived view of who God is, okay? You're just a human, okay? 
we have 66 authors, or sorry, 27 authors, 66 books. I think that's right. You know, and like this, it's an amazing document that there are themes that run throughout this book that are consistent. And I mean, and that, you know, we, that's another topic. But so God is right to, to glorify himself. And, and for our, for our um, testimony, it's not going to be about us in heaven. It's going to be about him. And oh my gosh, just this worship song we're going to sing. Oh, to think where I would be if not for you. We're going to be singing that song in heaven. You know, that's, that's, that's going to be like the realization. Like, do you ever feel like, like I feel like as a Christian, there are times where my mind just gets so cloudy, you know, so dark again, futile, and I forget the big things. And then there are moments in church, in the middle of a worship song, you know, where it's just like, the, this is where the word epiphany, where it comes from. It's like the lights turn on. It's like, oh, yeah, God, that's the big thing. Oh, he saved me from hell. That's the big thing. It doesn't matter if I have the play structure, right? It doesn't matter if I have, you know, and I mean, not to say there aren't terrible things that we suffer through, but if you can remember how much more valuable it is to know Jesus eternally than, than whatever you suffer, you know, Paul said something like, nothing in this world compares to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, you know, and, and, and I, didn't, I didn't prepare those texts, so I can't remember exactly how that goes, but you know, like, um, Nothing that we suffer through in this life is going to compare to what we experience in eternity. Okay, and then really, 8 through 10 is all I really wanted to talk about today, but I have three minutes left. So so when I be, first became a Christian, you know, when you first become a Christian, you almost don't even know what just happened to you. You know, like it's, I mean, I mean, some, I, I should say that as a, as a young person, when you first become a Christian, you probably don't even really realize the full extent of what just happened to you. Maybe some people do. You know, I, I didn't become a Christian like Blaine as a, you know, 35-year-old guy or however old he was, you know, 10 years ago. Um, but I remember this verse. Just somebody said this verse to me one time, Ephesians 2.8, as a young believer. And I was like, yeah, that's it. And so you want to throw up Ephesians 2.8? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. And so it's just like, oh, yeah, that's what happened. God saved me. I believed in him, but it was totally him, and I don't deserve the credit, you know? And they've actually, I watched a couple people on uh, the Greek words here, and so there's been, throughout human history, there's been some serious debates over what this is referring to, and this is not your own doing. Like, is it the, is it the faith, or is it the grace? And you get the Calvinists and the Arminius, and they go crazy, okay? The, the this, it's kind of, I think, been settled now, the this is a male word in Greek, and the grace and the faith are both female words in Greek. And, like, you wouldn't say la nino. You'd say el nino, right? And you wouldn't say el nina. You'd say la nina, right? Same kind of thing. And so the this can't refer to the grace or the faith alone. It has to refer to the whole sentence, okay? So the grace and the faith, it's a gift from God. It's, we don't deserve any credit for it. And um, let's go to verse 9 now. And this is, for, for me as a young believer, this is, this is what I was like all about. Like, this is called the doctrine of justification. Like, this was the first doctrine of Christianity, the first teaching of Christianity that I fell in love with. And, and so, not of works, so that no one may boast. Now, go to Romans 3.21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, 
Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Keep going. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So you can have God's righteousness on yourself through Jesus Christ. So God is holy, right? Remember that whole talk at the beginning? God is holy. You can be as holy as God. Not because you did it, but because God will put it on you. And, um, and so it comes, through all, it comes to everybody who believes in Jesus Christ. This is God's mechanism for making sinners holy. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ took the punishment you deserved on the cross. And there's no distinction between Jews and, and Gentiles. Keep going. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Keep going. And are justified. This is called justification. Like, just as if I'd never sinned. And are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So salvation, going to heaven, being right with God, is a free gift uh, that you can have if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And now we'll get into the works part, I think. And so you see this, this talk of works in all these passages I'm going to show you. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Keep going. It was, to show his right, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Keep going. Then what becomes of the boasting? Okay, so there would be an argument, um, you know, especially in his day. And, and still today, though, we've got the, the Catholic Church who, who technically says faith and works. We've got Mormonism, Mormons who say faith and works. And I think Jehovah's Witnesses are there. And so there's an argument that somehow... You are saved by faith, but you also have to do good works or else you're not saved. Um, But Paul is like, no, if your works save you, then you get the credit. Okay? In heaven someday, you'll be like, I got here, guys. I did it. But Paul is like, no, it is not by works. Um, There's no boasting, just like we saw in verse 9. Not of works so that no one may boast. And then I'll just, you don't have to bring up the scripture, but in Romans 4, same kind of thing. Just a little bit later, uh, Paul says, For then shall we say, what shall we say, Abraham, our forefather, gained according to the flesh, like according to works. And for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Like, this isn't true. Okay? So, you are not saved by the things you do. Okay? And then verse 10, um, here's the proper place for works. Okay? In Ephesians 2.10. Um, so, you were saved by grace, through faith, no boasting. You don't get any credit. But here's the proper place for good works. And this is like just a little bit more of my testimony I like to share. And I'm sorry I'm going a little bit over. Um, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so God, I always thought that it was really cliche when people would say, like, God has a plan for your life. Like, I always thought that was kind of cheesy. But that's exactly what this is saying. Okay? God has prepared things for you to walk in that are good. That's like a plan he has for what you should do with your life. Okay? So that is a very biblical idea. And um, Psalm 37.23 says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. Okay? He's got a plan for the godly. And he delights in every detail of their lives. It's amazing that this big, amazing creator also pays attention to this little pathetic human. You know? 
And he doesn't just pay attention to us. He delights in the details of their lives. And so, like, after becoming a Christian, like, I'd love to tell you that story, too. You know, I've to- I just told you a couple things, but there's so many things God has done in my life. I've, I'm 33 still. It's another week. And uh, I was 18 when I got saved. So I've been a Christian for 15 years. God has done a lot of things in my life in 15 years. And, but a couple of the, the things that are really awesome, and the, why, the reason I'm standing here in front of you guys today. So I went to college and became a Christian in, in Corvallis. And I started following Jesus when all of my friends started getting even worse, getting into partying, drinking, you know, actually having, you know, outside of marriage and, and all the things that, that come either at the end of high school or the beginning of college if you're just following the course of the world. It's just what you do. And, um, and I started going the other direction, and my friends, like, they, don't, they, they all got together one time, like, a couple years ago down in Texas or something, right? And they didn't even call me, you know? And they were my best friends in high school. We were the homies. There were six of us, you know? And none of them, none of them followed Jesus today. And I tried to share the gospel with them, and I was timid and feeble, and, and you know, I shared the gospel with them, but they didn't want to hear it. And, I, you know, we've, I've made new friends, and, and, but I miss those guys. But, but anyway... Um, God saves me in college and takes me on some ups and downs in, in my emotions and in my, I was a biology major, you know, evolution, creation. I spent a lot of time working through all that. And, uh, and I wanted to be a high school teacher because I, I wanted to reach those kids who were just like me right before I got saved. And I remember sophomore year in, in college, somewhere between, I went and I went to my old high school and I parked out front at night and I was just praying, you know, like, who does that? Like, that's a kid who's just, God has gotten a hold of him. I just went out there. I'm going to go pray. I'm 19 years old. What are you going to do on a Friday night? I'm going to go pray by myself. It's just cool, you know? And uh, I prayed for my, my old school and the kids in my old school. And, oh, man, this passion just welled up within me that, oh, my gosh, these kids need Jesus. And that was kind of one of the defining moments. I decided to become a teacher. And then, um, you know, I had to do my student teaching. Uh, you know, I went to Oregon State for my master's and got so I could teach. And I did do my student teaching and uh, in biology, you know, and and I was like, I was just going to deal with the evolution topic once I got into my own job, you know. And oh, your student teaching your uh, what do they call that work sample? Your work sample will be over the unit of evolution, you know. And so I got to like, oh man, how am I going to walk through this, you know? And it was it was so good that God did it that way for me. And it just worked out perfect the way I, the way I teach that kind of stuff now. And, uh, it, you know, and I just, I don't have time to tell you about that, how it goes, but it's, it's cool. It's a good talk. Ask me in the hallway. And, uh, and, then, um, and then me and Jess are praying about where should we go, you know. And, and what an exciting time in your life as a young believer. Like, where do I go, God? Like, my life is open to you. And, and it was basically like, oh, we have a son and we have to pay our bills. Wherever you give me a job, Lord, that was kind of where we were at. I wanted personally, selfishly, to go back home to Climate Falls. And Jessica, less selfishly, wanted to stay in Corvallis and because, hey, we're receiving a lot of good things here from the Lord, you know? And so, so it was kind of her desire to stay. And so it was like, okay, well, we'll try for both. And, and I got a job in, uh, just outside of Salem in this little town called Turner. And the guy I taught with first was a high school biology teacher, uh, was also a believer and a creationist. And it was just like, oh, this is perfect. What a good place to start, you know? And, and the Lord, and then I didn't know what I was, I just thought I was going to be a high school teacher. I got involved with this ministry called Young Life. I started doing youth ministry, and pretty soon I'm taking groups of kids to this Young Life camp nearby um, over the summer, and they're getting saved. And, like, 
when I started at that school, it was a dark place. And I was like, you know, it was bad. And, and after six years at that school, we had 100 kids every Monday night would come to our Young Life event, and we would share the gospel with them. There was this other thing we did once a year called Fugitive, where they'd run around the city, and it was a mess. And police officers don't let us do here in the city, which is probably smart. But we had 225 kids from the high school of 700 kids show up to this event where we share the gospel. You know, and like, and I'm sharing the gospel with all these high school kids. And I didn't see that coming, but that's exactly where God wanted me to be, where I was. And then just kind of, well, how did you get here? Um, we were running out of money because we were going to church in Corvallis. We lived in Albany, I taught in Salem, and it was like cars. We had gone through a couple cars, and, and we didn't ever get to be together um, because Jess's friends were in Corvallis, and my job was in Salem. And so it was just, it was just not um, making sense. And we were praying about what was next. And I was trying to get jobs closer to Corvallis. And, and I was at um, Black Bear Diner in Redmond. And I'm reading my Bible. I'm reading in Hebrews chapter 2. And I see this little bit that says, uh, you know, God testified of these things. Uh, let's see. Let me just get to it. That awkward moment when you actually look up a verse in the middle of church. Okay. Um, Okay, uh, Hebrews 1, 3. Nope. Hebrews 2. I thought it was like Hebrews 2 something. Okay, here it is. Hebrews 2, 4. So God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And so just like noticing like that, oh, they were preaching the gospel and God like verified the gospel with miracles and signs and wonders. And I just wrote this little margin in my Bible like, God will use signs and wonders to testify that something is true. And literally, I'm just, like, reading it objectively, not thinking about anything. And, and then my food shows up at Black Bear. You guys that ever eat at Black Bear? Okay. And so uh, big cheeseburger and fries. And I look over the guy next to me, and he's wearing the shirt of a bird. And I'm like, oh, I, don't, I know this guy somehow. And I had, like, stalked this guy two years earlier on uh, Kirk County's website, the school, because he was the high school biology teacher at Kirk County High School. And I was, like, when Rory and Lindsay first moved here, I wanted to move here. And, and I'm like, I know this guy. And I start talking to him, and he tells me, yeah, I'm retiring this year. My job's going to be open. And I'm just like, ah, you know. And Because we were, like, I, I think, you know, a day before, I was praying, like, Lord, if you want us to move to Primeville with Rory and Lindsay, like, show us that. Lord, if you want us to go to Corvallis, show us that. And, like, a day before, I was praying that. And I'm like, you know, and here's this guy, and boom. And then seven months later, I actually get a job. You know, and they offer me the job, and here we are. We've been here five years, and so God has me here now for certain things that He wants me to walk in. You know, and there's there's that word in there, should, that good works that He's prepared for us that we should walk in them. And man, I just all of us, man, I want to walk in the things that God has prepared for me to walk in. You know, like I want to make sure I don't miss it. And so, I'm sorry. This was like an hour. I'm really sorry, guys. I. So, God has done good things in bringing me here, and, and this is who I am, you know, and uh, yeah, so we're excited to be here with you guys. Um, I'm going to pray. Can we have the worship team come back up? I'm not, you'd think I would know to call the worship team back up when I'm finishing. It's now that awkward moment when I'm praying and they're coming up. Okay, God, thank you so much for, um, for how you've saved all of us by grace, through faith, not of works that we would have any boasting 
God, thank you that you are making a story out of our lives and that you delight in making that story. And God, I pray that we would walk in the things that you have prepared for us beforehand. Not just the big things about where we move, God, but even today. God, what are the little good works today that you want us to do? What is, what is the person that you want us to talk to today? What is, what is the family in need that you want us to reach out to today, Lord? Lord, help us to keep our eyes open, Lord, for the good works that you created before, beforehand that we should walk in. And God, let, let yourself be glorified by our lives here in Prineville. Lord, let this church, as we're growing and we're getting a new building, Lord, let this church be a church of people who walk in the good works that you've prepared for them. God, bring yourself much glory through our lives. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.